Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I'm telling you guys, bring George to every game. If George was, if they flew George out to Ottawa, George and his family, we might be looking at a different uh, Red Wings playoff push right now. Kids did great today, and I don't mean the Red Wings. I mean, it was kids Kids day at the LCA in between like uh, the announcing and the uh, obviously the admin takeover on socials and everything and, and George being there. That's why everyone was so hyped. Did you guys see the um, the YouTube video on the Red Wings YouTube channel about it was the Red Wings trying to guess who the, oh, the pictures yeah. of the, were, that were dr- drawn by the kids, yeah. like who the players were? It was hilarious. I love those. What did uh, what did Cider say about Larkin? Like needs a bigger schnoz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor David Perron. Yeah. This was so bad. I felt so bad for him. He's a good looking guy, and that child just butchered him. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I honestly think mine would be worse than those kids' drawings. Oh, mine would be way worse. I have no artistic ability. Okay, hold on. That's really good off season content. We gotta save that. That's right. We yeah. can draw our favorite Red Wings or something. <laughs> Get them framed. <laughs> Kids Day at the LCA and then like intellectually challenged podcast hosts <laughs> at the LCA. That's us. <laughs> uh, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Coming in uh, to you after the Detroit Red Wings upset the supposed best team in the NHL in the Boston Bruins. Uh, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and uh, prospects. That conversation continues. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be recapping Detroit's uh, home and home against Boston, where they walked away with a win and a loss. Uh, Storylines out of those games, uh, Mo Sider's electric goal today, uh, Alex Chason's uh, impressive and, and surprising uh, performance with the Red Wings since being uh, signed for a late season, uh, basically cap off. Um, you know, Bertuzzi returning back to the LCA, uh, the Red Wings social team firing back at Brad Marchand, which I love to see. Uh, unfortunate update on Robbie Fabry and, and other storylines. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about some uh, smaller stories in terms of Red Wings prospects and then a look at what Steve Eisenman is going to do at a certain position of need for the Red Wings, which has uh, cropped up after the trade deadline. And then today's prospect profile is an important one and may actually be, this might be the target for Red Wings fans who want to think think big, pie in the sky, but you know, not necessarily too out there. And that is Matt Vejmichkov and whether or not, uh, what kind of prospect he is and whether or not he could be in range for the Red Wings. Uh, some NHL news and whatever else comes up before overtime. Uh, before that, two things. First, uh, if you're on Twitter or want to be on Twitter, follow us at Winged Wheel Pod. Uh, that is where hockey discourse takes place largely. And uh, if you want to give us a follow, uh, at Winged Wheel Pod on Twitter. And then if you go to the bio, follow our personal accounts that are listed there. Uh, and then if you uh, want to support the show in ways other than just listening and tuning in and, uh, you know, being great for doing that, uh, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast is how we do everything on this show. Uh, our support for the Jamie Daniels Foundation, our growth, our production, uh, everything is is really driven by our patrons. Uh, they get a lot of different benefits like the Discord, uh, automatically entered into all of our giveaways and access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes, which record right after these. So patreon.com slash podcast. Big shout out for our, all, to all of our patrons and for those who are willing and are able to support. It's so, so appreciated. So we predicted 1-0-1 for the Red Wings, I think, for the Bruins. So one less point, 
than uh, than we predicted. So not too bad. And I got to say, uh, coming away from those games where the Bruins were treating the Red Wings like any other team in the playoffs, and very obviously that's a team you don't you don't hit fifty wins in record time without treating every game like a playoff playoff game. But it was kind of surprising to see how hard the Bruins came at the Red Wings, who are not a threat to them at all in terms of uh, a playoff stature or anything. Well, that's just what the good teams do in general. They don't take very many nights off. Yeah, They bring the same level of intensity, whether it's a October game against Anaheim or the conference finals against Tampa Bay. That's the mentality you have to have. It's, you know, don't take anything for granted because the NHL is a weird league. Like, you could have uh, this iteration of the Detroit Red Wings actually beat a historically good Boston Bruins team. It could happen. Mm-hmm. And the Bruins know that, so they play like that. And, hey, came to fruition. So, you know, good on the Bruins for for having this kind of killer instinct all season and good on the Red Wings for eventually stepping up to it. I, I have to say there were points, and we're going to cover the game specifically, but there were points where the Red Wings really did. They came out with a game plan because they knew they were the inferior team on paper, and they came out with a game plan to bring it to the Bruins. And there were extended periods of time, like entire periods of hockey where the Bruins looked staggered. They looked like they couldn't break Detroit's speed. They couldn't break Detroit's dominance in their own zone. And it didn't take long, you know, usually one intermission for for the Bruins to come back out and, and bring it to the Red Wings. But it was a uh, it was a good little two-game test. It's one of those games where, you know, you you can't walk away as a Red Wings fan too surprised by the results, but if you look at the micro level, like what did they try to accomplish? How did they step up to the punk test? How did they, you know, bring the speed against an ultra talented team? How did they try to uh, get around McAvoy? Things like that. They they didn't accomplish everything, but you could see the Red Wings really worked at that, and they came with a game plan and they executed on something surprisingly well. Yeah, if you look at the weekend at a high level, like you really can't be upset at all with the Red Wings compete in the and the results. So as a fan of the team, I, I think it was, I hate to say successful, but it, it felt, it felt successful. So the two games the Red Wings had, the first game was an ultimately uh, a 3-2 regulation loss against the Bruins, but the Red Wings had one of the best periods of hockey they've had all year. And the first against the Bruins, like I mentioned, they were skating fast and hard at them. Uh, those legs didn't hold the entire game. Um, the Red Wings just aren't that team, but uh, they did have uh, Boston on the back foot for the first period. Uh, Andrew's, Andrew Kopp opened scoring uh, with a shorthanded goal, and uh, Alex Chase on, on the power play. Him on the net front has been, like, it, that's been a revelation for the Red Wings. I know it's a little dramatic, and, you know, not to say this guy's going to be necessarily a long-term fixture in the lineup. I could see it. Like, he might earn himself a contract with these games, but uh, on the net front, on the power play especially, Chase on's been fantastic wasn't it the last patreon exclusive where we were sounding off about how the red wings just plainly didn't have anybody good in that role in the entire organization to this point yeah their only plan was rasmussen and he hasn't exactly worked out there no not at all and you know chase on is the definition of a specialist don't get me wrong uh, he lives a lot to be desired at five on five and in the other two zones of an nhl rank but in this specific role he thrives. And this isn't new. Chason has a history of going into other teams and producing at the NHL level for a long time. Again, with his shortcomings, he tends to, I don't want to say wear it as welcome because almost like that puts a bad connotation on it, but 
his shortcomings get exposed a little more over time. There's a shelf life to it. There's a shelf life to him. But if you can find a role for him at five on five where he doesn't drown and you want to parade him out on power play one net front, he'll thrive every time he's done it. That's how he's managed to kick around this long in the NHL. That is exactly his recipe for success. And thus far, the Red Wings have used him appropriately and it's been it's went exactly how they hoped. And with them trading Oscar Sunquist, who uh, did play that spot on the power play, um, you know, either power play one or two, there are a lot of times where he would pick up a rebound in front or a shot pass and, you know, do the same thing, you know, butt in the goalie's face, spin around and fire it in. I, I know losing Sunquist isn't going to sink a team. Uh, there, that is a material loss to the Red Wings lineup in like a very tangible way. Their power play and their special teams were altered because of it. So for Chase on to grab this NHL contract from his work in the AHL and, and make the most of it. And that translates into the Red Wings filling that gap. That's just like a nice to have for the rest it's of the good season. good enough for now, yeah. Yeah. So the Red Wings ultimately ended up losing that game uh, 3-2, like I said. There was a, a funky little shot on Helberg where I know he was getting blasted for it, but it was kind of bouncing around and he didn't control the rebound too well and it was fired home uh, Hathaway. You know, very quick. It was a very quick move, but that was really impressive from Hathaway how he buried that shot. Uh, got his forehand essentially in a, a split second. That was not, that was, it looked easier than it actually was, I think, in real life. It's one of, there's a lot of things that happen in the NHL that I don't think your average fan appreciates enough. And that definitely falls into that category. So that was uh, the game in Boston. And then the day after, obviously, was uh, at the LCA. And that was Tyler Bertuzzi's first time back, not wearing the winged wheel. Uh, Unsurprisingly, the Red the Red Wings put out a fantastic um, video, like a thank you video for him. Evan, does that meet your standard? Is that okay? I don't. I'm not commenting. No, no, go for it. I want to hear Tyler Bertuzzi doesn't meet the standard. It's fine for- enough. Fine enough. I mean, they've done it for for lesser things, so I suppose <laughs> Tyler Bertuzzi can have a tribute video. I mean, they did draft him ten years ago. We should just do a banner raising ceremony instead oh of a video. Like, let's just let's just skip that. Then it'll live in our hearts forever. Find a passion in life like Evan has a passion against tribute videos. This guy hates tribute videos in the NHL. You could play 40 games on a team and they'll give you a tribute video. It blows my mind. Has there been a tribute video that you've thought, I would have been upset if they didn't do this? Or do you just not like them in general? Oh, there's obviously players who deserve a tribute video. And Bertuzzi's not a gimme for you? I didn't say that. I said they've done it. For lesser players, so I will. I'm okay with this one, folks. I'm interpreting the vibes coming from that side of the table, <laughs> and I gotta tell you that. <laughs> Anyhow, Bertuzzi returned to the LCA. Obviously, standing ovation. Really great video. Uh, nice moment. Uh, same thing we said when he got traded. Like you know, removing objectively the analysis of the trade, it being I think the right move for the Red Wings. It still feel it's still. It looks weird. It yeah, it's bizarre. Anyways. Uh, I'm I'm almost sad that it's a Bruins because I, I can't bring myself to root for them in the playoffs, but I do I do hope he has as much personal success as possible. I hope he gets 14 points in their seven-game loss in round one. <laughs> the Red Wings open the game again. Uh, well, I shouldn't say open the game. The first half of the game, if not more, was was all Red Wings. Who's, who opened scoring other than Alex Chason on the power play in front of the net? Prashanth is like... He called this from the start. He was tweeting about it, and it's just been like every single game you see Chase on uh, hit that net front presence like we just talked about. Five games played, already two goals, two assists, four points. So good for him. 
And yeah, it, it continued today. And it very obviously is, is clicking, like you mentioned, Brad. Uh, the game continued with, again, the first three goals were all special teams. And that second goal, most cider school, that has to, that's already on his career highlight. That was like reel. the first thing you said to me when I walked into your house today. I was like, I know, I watched the same <laughs> hockey game as you. Thank you. Steals the puck on the penalty kill from Pasternak, who's making north of $11 million next year. Goes down on a breakaway and pulls off a backhander that was so reminiscent of like the Pavel Datsuk, Henrik Zetterberg era of the Red Wings. What move did he, who did you compare it to? He pulled the McDavid on a backhand. Because McDavid always does that, come in on that side and then just chip it as the uh, goalie starts the move. Sauter came in in the same spot, same side and did the same move because he's a righty. He had to do it on the backhand. That was an absolutely electric goal. He, he was almo- fired up. He almost looked surprised that he did it. <laughs> I think he was surprised, just as surprised as everybody else in the building, that there was a defenseman on a breakaway on the penalty kill. That was, you said, Brad, that it's going to be the Red Wings goal of the season. And I don't know that I can argue at this point. As of right now, that is the like the highlight itself, like the goal itself has to be the Red Wings moment of the Jake season. Jake Wallman erasing two diving players to score that goal. <sighs> Wow, that was terrible description of the goal. I apologize, but my brain totally just blacked out with what the details were. Do you want to redo it or do you want to just hold that? Oh one? no, no, we're good. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. We're rapidly approaching the off season, folks. It, Wallman has some really good, uh, really good candidates in there, but for Cider to do that on the penalty kill, that juxtaposed against you know the start to the season he had, where he really his confidence was struggling and he wasn't doing those special things that we saw in his rookie year as much. This is, if you ever needed proof, this is like Cider is Cider again, and he has been for a while now, and that goal was just unbelievable. The celebration, like the jumping in the pile after where <laughs> Wallman was hopping like a bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I think Larkin said post-game, I don't think Cider even understands how nice that goal was. Uh, the Red Wings ended up, actually, they took a 4 nothing lead in this game. Dylan Larkin uh, had a... Uh, a laser in the slot. Absolutely sniped it. The assists were from Raymond and Sider, but guess who was net front with a beautiful screen? Alex Chason. I want to talk about that goal. Because I noticed something this game, and it was the first time I had noticed the Red Wings do what they did today in any capacity on the power play. I, I don't... Uh, obviously, the game didn't end that long ago, so I haven't had time to really dive into the systems of it or if it was just happenstance or if this was something the Red Wings noticed, they were feeding Larkin for that shot in the bumper all game. I don't know if they recognized that they saw maybe Boston was a little more passive on the bumper. They didn't take Larkin as a shooting threat as seriously as some other teams do. There was at least three, four, five moments where it came from Raymond on the wall to Larkin in that spot for that exact play. They were clearly looking for it. And we've seen them try things on the power play, but I don't think we've ever seen them get locked in. I've ever seen them get locked in on something so specific at any point this season. And it ended up paying off because, yeah, I think it might have been the Bruins PK is passive to that area of the ice because to to catch and release as a lefty in that spot from a pass coming from the right side isn't, it's not a one-time option. Like, it's it's not a quick play when you're in the middle of four defending players. But, yeah, like I said, they kept force-feeding it, and it paid off. 
And you will have to wonder why he wouldn't be respected more as a shooter there. That was Larkin's 25th of the season. And he's, he's scored from there, you know, without looking up the statistics, I feel like quite a bit. Like he has some velocity and some accuracy, like you said, Brad, with very little time with the puck on his stick. So good on the Red Wings for recognizing that. Good on Tangay and, and the Red Wings um, offensive core. And hey, losing Bertuzzi and Hironic does not make your power play better on paper. So for them to be trying new things and, and again, Jason, credit to him and his work on the net front. It's it's produced lately, so that's good. Yonatan uh, Berggren, or Yanni, let's, let's call it Yanni Berger, Yanni Burgers, uh, came in down the right side and had a seeing eye shot that hit the opposite, uh, you know, corner of the post, bounced out, and Adam Ernie banged home. He was, uh, you know, right there, right place, right time. So good for him, and that was four nothing for the Red Wings. Didn't take too long after that for Boston to start bringing it back. Uh, Matt Grizzlick made it 4-1, and then the Bruins started the third period by bringing it back as close as 4-3. And at one point in the third period, I even joked, I was like, based on numbers, obviously the Red Wings weren't the most likely team to win this game, but based on how the game was progressing, I thought, ooh, this is Boston about to do it again. But Detroit held on, credit to them. Huso held on, and Cop got the empty netter, and Detroit with a big, big 5-3 win in my mind. That was a really good takeaway from the weekend. Yes, if you're cheering for as high of a draft pick as possible. Yes, if you're not really into, you know, stealing two points when you're you're trying to maximize the the rebuild. I'm sure folks aren't as thrilled about wins as they were pre-trade deadline, but it always feels good to beat the Boston Bruins. It feels good to see Brad Marchand get called for a cross-check for once and walk away the loser. Yeah. So nice to know Jack Edwards' Sunday evening has been ruined. A little bit, yeah, just <laughs> a little bit worse. And uh, let's acknowledge Brad Marchand in his uh, interview with uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN when they were talking about locations for the All-Star game, he called Detroit suspect. And then the Red Wings admins <laughs> tweeted out nothing suspect about that win. That was good. You can't get too worked up about, you know, an obvious pot shot. Who cares? People who don't understand Detroit, they're always going to, you know, dump on Detroit when they don't know uh, and, and not excusing him at all. But it, basically it's like, screw that guy. Don't he, even give him the time of day. I think he was throwing some shade at other cities who are hosting the All-Star game soon. I think Toronto, maybe Edmonton as well. Yeah, on, he, on Twitter, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, was, he was putting down Edmonton and then uh, double back saying had good hunting, to which I was very confused because I don't know if he's just staying in the parking lot of the West Edmonton Mall or <laughs> what. But <laughs> Anyways, uh, good on. That's how you fire back. So the Red Wings social team did a good job with that. It was one of the kids, actually. Oh, yeah. They're savages. <laughs> <laughs> kids don't have a filter. No, they absolutely don't. Mika, in the limited time Mika spends in this house, she definitely provides some reckoning for the folks here. Oh, yeah. yeah. 100%. Uh, again, Red Wings one-on-one. Not a bad takeaway for the weekend, like we said. Good on Cider for giving the, the LCA something to cheer about because that was almost destined to be a very... Um, dull game at best uh, in Detroit. So nice that they were able to walk away with uh, a W. Something that happened actually uh, between last episode and now is Robbie Fabry took an awkward hit to his, I believe it was his left knee this time uh, from Johnson in the Chicago game, left the game, went down the tunnel, didn't return. And we immediately thought, is this his fourth ACL tear? He's had two, I believe on the left knee and one on the right, if I'm not mistaken. And we thought, you're thinking the worst. You don't want to, but um, with his history of knee injury, it was tough to watch. But the Red Wings said they are optimistic they avoided worst-case scenario for now. Um, So 
they are treating it day to day. We didn't see him in either of the Bruins games, which is why Zarnik got called up and some other roster moves happened. But you you just have your fingers crossed that Fabry avoided you know a fourth devastating uh, knee injury. Whatever time he has to take, you know, whatever the injury might be, whatever time he has to take, I think it's best to keep him shut down until he's fully healed. Because I don't know that my like gut sank when I saw that. Wrap him in bubble wrap. Tell him not to leave his room. Just. 110% of the precautions you can take at this point, please, yeah. please do it. Don't, don't, e- you know what? Don't even let him sneeze. That's too much force on the body. <laughs> hey, look, as hey, you get well, older. I've injured myself <laughs> sneezing before. <laughs> I have like this thing that's a hernia, but not, apparently not a hernia, but I've, I've pulled it sneezing. <laughs> that's what they don't tell you about everything past, I think age 24, those things start to crop up. Oh Yeah. Okay, uh, the Red Wings' upcoming games before next episode is just the one uh, in the Western Conference against the Nashville Predators. That is Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and then we're going to be back with you uh, on Wednesday. Uh, the Red Wings are getting up towards the end of the season here. Uh, it, it's not too much left. The strength of schedule is pretty tough. They have Colorado, Florida, who's fighting for a playoff spot. The two St. Louis games could be really pivotal in terms of where they draft because you know they want St. Louis to pass them. Uh, essentially, uh, their season ends on April 13th. So, uh, we're getting into the, the home stretch here. I just hope, I hope for entertaining games like we saw against Boston. Uh, but obviously if you're, you're rooting for the rebuild, then yeah, a lot of silver linings to, to cheer for, uh, some other quick Red Wings news, Carter Mazur in his, uh, dominant season in the NCAA, he's nominated for uh, the defensive forward of the year in the NCHC. So he is continuing his strong run of hockey, probably a really, really strong candidate to be a you know, potential surprise at Red Wings camp next season. Uh, he, even if he doesn't make it, make the Red Wings, obviously that's a tall ask. I think the Griffins are poised to potentially receive a really, really strong Carter Mazur and uh, it's another further boost to that team. And on a similar note, uh, I believe that it was at an Illich Companies event where Assistant General Manager Sean Horkoff, Max Beltman tweeted this out, uh, Sean Horkoff uh, confirmed that they are looking to have uh, Marco Casper move over from Sweden to North America next season. So that's not going to be a surprise. Very obviously with the strong season he's having and looking at the Red Wings timelines, it makes sense for Casper to come over. Not only is he going to be coming over, but he's going to be a strong candidate to make the Red Wings in my mind. You don't want to hold him to that. It's all going to be dictated by camp and how ready and the transition and that's different from person to person. Uh, Edvinson obviously needed time in Grand Rapids, but Casper has a really good case. So he has the most important thing going for him, which he plays center, which is the organization's biggest need. So that will always give him an inside track on whatever's going on next year. But the two variables that are going to determine whether he makes the Red Wings or not next year is how ready is he? What's going on with Marco Casper in training camp in preseason? Does he look like he's ready? And two, what does Steve Eisenman do this offseason? If all of a sudden... Eisenman says, screw it, our center depth sucks and goes out and gets a million of them. Okay, then Casper's probably got an uphill climb, or he has to start at the wing. Red Wings aren't exactly lacking in wingers. Who knows what the logjam ahead of him could look like uh, going into camp. But based on everything he's done this year, everything about his profile leading up to the draft, I mean, he's a good candidate to skip the AHL. He's got the pro style game and his style of game 
should transition to North American ice, I, I would guess, easier than other Europeans. Something that I think the Red Wings had a mixed bag of in this uh, weekend of games against Boston was, you know, the first game Boston was just beating up on them. You know, uh, Orlov jamming Kublik's head into the boards right in front of the ref. The ref's not calling it. And, the, you know, that's one thing. It's not really a complaint about the ref. It's that the Red Wings saw that and I thought, you're not punching back. And you need, in those cases, if the ref's going to say, yeah, we're not calling this, punch back. Get your money's worth. You can't let them walk over you, all over you. And frankly, you know, Boston was a is a playoff team. They are Stanley Cup favorites, like the Stanley Cup favorites. If they want to, you know, F around and do that and play you like a playoff team, you have nothing to lose. Not only do you punch back, you take every run you can within reason. Don't go and go, like hurt someone. You take every run, every extra shot after the whistle, every like slash you can at Krejci and Pasternak, and you give it back to the Bruins because that's what playoffs team do. Playoff teams do. They don't fail, as Brad loves to say. You don't fail the punk test. I felt the first game they did. The second game, I thought they did a lot better. Still not where I would want them to be if I'm. Derek Lalone or, or Steve Eiserman, uh, but you need a little bit of that edge. They lost some in Tyler Bertuzzi, and you know what? They lost some in Philip Peronik. Philip Peronik was not afraid to He's get a in sheriff. Scrum. Yeah, like he, yeah, he really was. It, would he win the fights? No. You saw him at points where you know it got to dropping the gloves, and he looked at who he was squaring off against, and he just went, mm, "Oops, <laughs> I did that a lot playing hockey." Oh, well, somebody's got to do it. That's right. Ryan Nugent Hopkins fought somebody. Who did he fight? Last oh, he week? tuned him up. I can't remember who that was. I didn't know he had cinder blocks for hands, but because he, <laughs> he just erased. He threw him. I forget who that was, but yeah. it was not the outcome I was expecting. I think that be. guy forgot who he was too. Yeah. So players rally around other players stepping up for each other. And, you know, Marco Casper can bring a little bit of, of edge. He can bring a little bit of snarl to the lineup and, you don't want to expect too much of that from a young guy in a, a, a grown man's league because uh, there's some dad strength going around there. But the Red Wings are going to have to develop that internally. It's not just, you know, the world's toughest players who can do that. Again, this isn't advocating for bring in fighters and sacrifice talent. You have talented players who can stand up for themselves and set the tone. But I think that's another leg up for Marco Casper is... Uh, just that little bit of uh, get into the dirty areas and then punch someone in the face. A little bit of sandpaper. Yeah, yeah. Can't believe that's where we've transitioned to. As, that's where we've evolved to as a podcast. Oh, we'll, we'll swing back the other way eventually. <laughs> yeah. We always do. The, the pendulum. No, we opened the boomer window and jumped right through. There's not going back. <laughs> it's part, yeah, we sne- We heard ourselves sneezing and now we're advocating for a little bit more. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's actually what caused it. Just one day you sit there, ah, chew, ow. Oh, they should fight after clean hits. Uh. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, that's Marco Casper. Carter Mazer, like I said, I think he has a really good shot. And on defense, um, Simon Edvinson, you know, all goes well, and it, you would hope it does go well. He has a spot that he's fighting for. Albert Johansson as well, but the left side is a little bit more jam-packed, and I want to talk about the other side right now. Steve Eisman has a job at hand this summer. You know, he has to decide what he's doing after last summer of spending. He has to decide what he's doing after, you know, the move forward in the uh, offseason and then the move backwards with the trade deadline. Overarchingly, yes, that's absolutely what he has to do. But very specifically, what is he going to do on the right side at defense? Because right now he has Mo Sider, and his best option for second pair right D is flipping uh, Mata or Sharat to the right side, which he doesn't love to do. He said it himself. 
They have no long-term solution at right D. They are going to have to find something and it's currently not in their prospect pool. They have some, you know, long shot candidates who could turn out, think about the way that, uh, you know, not that he was a low round pick, but how Valinder has really panned out for the left side and they have a lot of hope for him. What's it going to be on the right side? There's nothing in the organization right now. There's nothing in the roster right now. So I think you may have solved this in your last conversation. So I need you to confirm a few things for me, right? Carter Mazur, one defensive, uh, nominated for defensive player of the year. Yeah. Defensive forward of the year. Yeah. He shoots right, right? (laughs) Immediately sacrifices offensive capacity just to put him on defense. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, he's going to be the inverse Brent Burns problem solved. Don't worry about it. But Carter, Sergey Fedorov, Mazur, many people are saying it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, uh, Derek Lalonde, if you had not thought of this yet, you are welcome. But in reality, um, the first option I think is going to be Sherratt's going to probably play the full season over there. He already is with Mata. Um, obviously, Sider being the only option. There's a couple guys who are having to do it because um, I don't even think Lindstrom played today. And I can't remember if it was Hag or Osterley playing the right side. But they had five left defensemen uh, in the lineup today. And that might be what ends up happening next year. Uh, depending on what they're able to swing in trades and free agency. I think the best solution here, uh, at least in the short term, is kind of approaching this offseason like Iserman did last offseason in a lot of respects. There's there's no big swing to be had here in the draft because the first round for defensemen in general is really weak, let alone right-hand defensemen. The free agent market is awful, just awful. So. You got to find your right-handed Ole Mata, that that underappreciated defenseman who can do the job, but you know the ceiling is very limited. Oh, Madison Bowie's a free agent at the end of the season. There we go. We don't, just don't we just keep Brad's love for Madison Bowie back on me, please. We we just keep solving problems on this episode because <laughs> there is no good immediate solution. Uh, I mean, in a perfect world, you find uh, a way San Jose. Uh, is willing to retain a ton of money on Eric Carlson, but uh, I think that's a pipe dream. So it's a problem. I think what's ultimately going to happen, and it's probably the only really true course, depth defenseman and free agency, make it a bit of a point in the second round and later in the next couple drafts. Dylan McElrath's a free agent at the end of the season. What about Troy Stetcher? Mark Pissick. Unironically, I would I wouldn't mind Troy Stetcher coming back. <laughs> he actually might be a good solution to this problem for a year. If or two. we're opening the boomer window, Radko Gudis is also a free agent. No, un, like again, unironically, He's actually yes. not bad. Yeah, no, hasn't the, been bad in Florida. He solves a snarl problem from the last conversation. He, le- he legitimately would solve two huge problems. One, you'd have a second pairing right-handed defenseman, uh, and two, he would be the nastiest. Son of a bitch every time he's on the ice, which is something the Red Wings can never claim. Uh, the downside to Radko Gudas is he's going to be very in demand. Imagine yeah. Ole Mata, but with the physical side to it. Yeah. Now, I- I'm not going to go so far as to say that, hey, going into this free agency class is Radko Gudas Detroit's number one target, but he <laughs> should be very high on it. If if there isn't that run of teams that you know, are willing to overpay for him that there is likely to be. And Radko Gudis can be had for a fair contract. Detroit should legitimately be one of the teams at the front of that line. 
I wouldn't mind a small overpayment on Radko Gudis. If you're in some competition, again, he's he's not at the kind of age where you want to give him a ton of terms, so that might be where you lose out. But in terms of cap hit, a small, small overpayment is fine by me. They do have to be cognizant of, you know, Sider's contract is, is coming up. Raymond's contract is coming up. They're going to have to start to dish out big money for these players that they want to bring in. So you can't do too many deals that don't age well like Sherratt's. But, you know, this is what the luxury of getting Wallman on the cheap gets you. This is what the luxury of getting, you know, other players at, at good efficiency gets you. Radko Gudis would solve a lot. There's another thing at hand here, and we talked about this after the trade deadline. The Red Wings have a ton of draft capital. First two rounds over the next two seasons, they have, on average, two picks per round. That's huge. And I'm not advocating to say, you know, go trade all of your first round picks for a second pair right D, but there are probably options that you have here. You have an abundance of left D prospects. You have an abundance of picks. You know, their pipeline is really strong. Does it, it lacks elite, elite, elite talent, but so do uh, most teams' pipelines. The Red Wings have all of the assets they can need in the uh, prospect pool and draft capital and in players here that I think that Steve Eisenman, with a willing you know, partner and another GM can do something at right D. The problem is willing partner and right D. Like it's very hard to make trades in the NHL and right D is just such an in-demand position across this league at all times, which it, which is why I don't necessarily think it's likely. Here, the main reason it's not likely is if you're looking for a Radko Gudas type, if, if that's your goal, there's enough of those in free agency. You no sense giving up the assets. But what you're alluding to, and uh, as the Red Wings should be looking for, is a premium right-handed defenseman, someone who is not a stopgap. You look around the NHL, it isn't there. Of all the basement feeding teams, they do not have any good ones to trade. I, I mentioned them earlier, and as a joke, uh, because of, you know, the complications, but Eric Carlson might be it. Is Matt uh, Dumba bad? He's been healthy scratch this year. So I know. That that's, that's why I like, he's a UFA at the end of the season and he's only 28, but he makes a boatload of money and I just, and he's been scratched. So I just don't know what to make of Matt Dumba anymore. I like Matt Dumba. I don't like Matt Dumba at the number he's going to come in at. Yeah. I said that to someone, uh, we were talking about this a few days ago. I, I think he could be a really good fit, but I just, it, it really screams, you know, defenseman who's going to be paid just based on previous reputation and that contract won't age well from the start to me. Yeah, the the situation the Red Wings specifically are in is they are lacking high-end talent so badly that it, if a David Pasternak ever did hit the market, I don't care if they have to overpay him by $2 million a year. Like, you have to get him. But for anybody who's not a premium talent, like a Matt Dumba, you have to take the money ball approach to free agency. Find your value. And based on last year, Eiserman does a pretty good job of that. Matt Dumba is not going to be the money ball contract. He's going to be the opposite. He's going to be the name brand free agent out there. He might actually be the best defenseman hitting the unrestricted free agent market by reputation, at least. And the fact that he shoots right, yeah, that next contract of his is... It's going to be a Ben Chirac contract. It's going to be a mistake from day one. You can you can just see it coming a mile away because the NHL is entirely too predictable. Hey, Tyler Myers is going to be a free agent the year oh, after. Perfect. 
Ryan, I know you're Ryan. I know you meant that as a joke and you delivered it as a joke very well. It still hurt. You know, it just, those are the just, best you, types of jokes. You just wince. You're like, ah, cause they hurt Brad. Yeah. There's, there's a multitude of options here. And yet at the same time, almost none. Like the, this is a tall task that Eisenman has created for himself. Again, I do think the heroic trade was like, if you're going to get that value back and you're, you're set on, you know, you're not going to compete next year, you had to do it. But this is now like a, a, not a corner that Eisenman has backed himself into, but he is going to have to figure this, this position out. Otherwise the Red Wings aren't going to do anything seriously in terms of trying to fight for a wild card spot next year or after. Again, you know, if we looked at who the Red Wings could bring in before this season started, we would have been hard pressed to say Olimata would have been at the top of the list. I think it's been really good the way Olimata has fit into this lineup. So like you said, Brad, if you can find someone like him, it's not like it's completely desolate out there, uh, but it's going to be one of, I think, a few key issues that Eisenman has led himself into. And there's, you know, a bigger discussion here that we've already started, which is that hitting the gas and then hitting the brakes, so to speak, it's not so simple as like, uh, you know, you go forward, then you move backwards, which means it's bad. But Eisenman is going to have to reconcile the spending from offseason and then the trades at the trade deadline. I'm really curious to see how he, he handles this offseason. There's a lot he has to kind of figure out the direction the Red Wings are going in. And that's still a big question mark. Uh, Sometimes doing nothing is the right move. So I don't want to say he has to make moves to do the right thing. Uh, Players get better and you have prospects coming up. So the the improvement doesn't necessarily have to come through free agency and trades, but there's a big question mark on how the Red Wings are going to perform next year. It's not going to be so clear cut as coming into this season where we said, yeah, because of all these guys they signed, they will be better. I'm pretty confident that Eisenman's going to approach this offseason like he did last. Not necessarily in terms of I think the result's going to be the same, but when you listen to Eisenman talk last year, he's not thinking anything we're not. He's very aware of what this team is lacking right now. He's he's going to have a couple holes on the roster to plug, like we're talking about. Someone's got to take a Ronick spot. And, you know, depending which free agents come back and don't, there's probably going to be depth winger or two that they'll probably need to find someone for and he'll go out and he'll find the good value players who can still produce uh, like a David Perron or a decent bet reclamation project like a Kubelik. I think the only time we're going to see him I don't know if this is the right way to phrase it get creative is he knows like we do this team's lacking elite talent that's the problem with this rebuild all he can do is incrementally improve this team by plugging the holes and there's not a damn thing he can do about it otherwise until he wins a draft lottery he you know hits the jackpot with like the 11th overall pick and finds you know a charlie mcavoy or someone of equivalent or a team that has a really damn good player goes off the cliff and all of a sudden now you can start talking trades because of the basement dwellers most of them have already sold off. There's not much left. There's not much meat on those bones anymore. So you're hoping that, again, this will never happen, but I'll just use them as a hypothetical because they played them today. Boston loses in the first round. Krejci and Bergeron retire, and this team goes, oh, crap, we got to unload someone, and then you go and trade for a guy. 
again, that could be there's 16 teams in the playoffs. It could be any of them. I'm I know it won't be Boston. I'm just using that as an example. But if all of a sudden a team goes, you know, that's it. We can't do any more with this core. It's run our course. The Leafs, if they lose in the first round again, who knows what the hell they're going to do? They're like, all right, we need to shake this core up. We're going to build around Matthews and Martyr, and everyone else can go to hell. And all of a sudden, William Nylander's on the trade block. Then Iserman, okay, yeah, you throw the world at that. But as of right now, that scenario doesn't really exist. Um, and until the playoffs shake out, we don't know if that scenario will exist. So unfortunately, we might we might be sitting here early in the 23-24 season going, okay, yeah, this team looks better. We like the value signings Iserman made. But where's the elite talent? Where's that coming from? And unfortunately, that's the most likely scenario is we're sitting here about this time next year. Oh, perfect. We and, don't have to do the the preseason episode yeah, now. There we go. Just put this in. But, Look at this. this guy's always trying to find an extra day to call. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> to and, and if we are sitting here in this uh, exact same scenario next year, hey, the Red Wings might be finding some extra days to golf as well. Oh, Brad. That just like it's not necessary, man. That's uh, because they'll be at the Wingwell Podcast charity <laughs> golf event. That's right. Um to the end of, before we move to the next topic here, to the end of what you said, Brad, where eventually a team with good players is going to decide this isn't it for us or they run into cap trouble or whatever, there's there's two competing fronts here. First of all, the cap is going up, so I think the squeeze we've seen for the last you know three, four years, it's going to be alleviated a, a bit. I think we're going to see a little bit less of a cap crunch that we've seen in previous seasons, but I think there's a disproportionate amount of talent right now in the Eastern Conference because of this trade deadline. Uh, but overall, there's those teams, they're not going to be able to hang on to players forever. Eventually, they're going to look to do things like what Chicago did a while back where, you know, they got rid of Panarin where I don't know necessarily that they should have, but they're going to need to find more efficient, cheaper talent. They're going to start making decisions on guys. Guys are going to decide to go to different teams. It's not going to stick in the East forever. And these teams are going to look at the talent around them to say, oh, X, Y, and Z team are just as good as, as us now with younger players who are only going to get better. Our stars are aging. We have an opportunity to rebuild. Let's pull the trigger on this a little bit early. So I, I think that is potentially in the cards and could shake things up. And so we don't have the foresight as to how that'll happen, but you can never discount that. But right now, as we see it, yeah, I think, Brad, you're right in that this is the most likely option. And I'll, I'll give you actually, while you were talking, I was thinking about teams that might be shaping up for the the Vancouver style retool teams that seem pretty averse to rebuilding, but obviously something is wrong uh, with the core of their team. Maybe, maybe start running through the Flames and Jets rosters, seeing who you want, because uh, the Jets have won five of their last seventeen games in the middle of a playoff race. Calgary just tied themselves to to absolute massive contracts, and they're going to comfortably miss the playoffs. Unless Winnipeg makes it a little more interesting for him, which they are. So, you know, scenarios like that. Okay. This is an important topic that I want to talk about, and I've been looking forward to it. It's our prospect profile for this episode, and one that I, I don't think is crazy to think about from a Red Wings perspective. Matt Vemichkov is, depending on who you ask, the second most, and some people might still believe that he is closer to Connor Bedard than you'd be led to think in terms of talent in this prospect pool. A lot of other years, he would be the undeniable first overall pick. This year, he'd have a much stronger case, if not for the fact that he was he's signed in the KHL through the 2025-2026 season right now, which is a big, big hamper for him in terms of his uh, draft eligibility or, or, sorry, his projection onto an NHL roster. But you cannot deny how good of a player Matt Vemichkov is, potentially 
a franchise player, if not a little bit more closer to Connor Bedard's tier. And this is a guy who could fall in the draft. So aside from the KHL contract complications, which we'll talk about, Brad, tell us who Michkov is as a player. He's the second best player in this draft. Uh, on talent alone, with all due respect to Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson, uh, Michkov and Bedard are a step above everybody else in this class. Um, you know, we've sat here on this podcast and talked about player comparisons going, oh yeah, this guy kind of plays a style like Nikita Kucherov. Not saying he he will be as good as Nikita Kucherov, but he's got a style like Kucherov. Michkov has a style like Kucherov. But here's the thing. Michkov could be Kucherov. Like that is very much in the realm of possibility for how good Matvey Michkov could be. We could be looking here five years down the road when he's finally over in North America and going, wow, he's putting up 110, 120 points a year. That, that is how good he is. Uh, he's a bit more shoot first uh, than some of the other superstars in the NHL right now. This is a guy who has that unique ability to turn everything into a goal. And I don't say that, you know, based on purely talent, but the guy has the ability to put him anywhere in the offensive zone in any situation. And whether that's through quick hands, a good shot, finding the soft area, getting in the right spot for a rebound behind the net. I mean, the, the kids pulled off a billion Michigans in his life. He's a threat from everywhere, everywhere. If he is on the ice in the offensive zone, you have to be ready because if it gets anywhere near him, it could be a goal immediately. And that is just such a rare ability. That's, that's something Connor Bedard doesn't even have. Bedard has greater talent overall than Michkov does when you're looking at the hands, um, the shot, etc. So from certain areas, Bedard's just way more of a threat than Michkov. But there's nobody, I haven't seen anybody in a draft in a very long time that is a threat in as many different ways as he is. And that's just on the goal scoring front. That's not even talking about what a great playmaker he is. Oh, yeah. Because he will keep you honest because he is such an unbelievably smart hockey player that if you double team him or overcompensate for the shot that you think's coming, he's going to find that lane. He's going to make that pass. You're like... Unless you have an insanely brilliant coach, it's almost impossible to stop him when he's against his at when he's against his peers. You can't stop him at this point. So I am I am unbelievably excited to see this guy when he finally gets over to the NHL. Outside of the the skill, or like in, in addition to everything that you just covered, Brad, I really want to emphasize this guy's hockey IQ. We talk a lot about hockey IQ on the show. It's one of the things that we value the most in a prospect. And I know it's become a little bit of a meme with people to say, you know, what is hockey IQ? If you don't like any of the definitions that we throw out there, here's one for you. Just watch Michkov's game. Watch a, a compilation a compilation of how he creates goals, either by, you know, scoring himself or hit with his playmaking, which can be elite. He thinks the game, he has to be one of the top three prospects in terms of hockey IQ I've seen since we've started covering prospects on this show. The way he thinks the game in the offensive zone is game-breaking. He can change the course of a game for his team, and he's still a kid. Like He has a lot of development to come, and he's doing this in the KHL. It's not all been positive for him. I know this season there were points where there was a little bit of slumping, 
uh, moved over to Sochi where things have gone a lot better for him, I think, with more minutes over there. Um, his play off the puck or, or defensive play, I should say, is something that they want him to focus on, et cetera, et cetera. But in the offensive zone, you're hard-pressed to find someone as dangerous or more dangerous than him if you're not talking about Connor Bedard. Michkov is a game-breaker offensively to the point where I still think he's worth looking at second overall, despite the fact that you won't have him for years. I suppose it depends what sort of position your organization is in terms of timeline. Generally, the teams who are uh, in the, the Michkov level of drafting have a long timeline, so mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that should uh, convince teams to not draft him where they believe he should be. So with him not coming over until 2026, 2027, because he's signed through the 2025-2026 season, how much does that affect his draft stock? And do you as the Red Wings, you know, let's say the Red Wings are picking 10th where they are right now. Do you pick him at 10? Which yes. I think is an obvious, yeah, <laughs> it's an obvious answer, but worth asking. Do you trade up? And if so, how far? So to the first party question, how much should it affect his draft stock? Well, echoing what Evan said. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Um, the team, like, I'm sorry, if you're Montreal, Arizona, Columbus, you have, no reality you're competing in the next three years. So why the hell does that matter? Let him develop in the KHL. Let him come over. Look at what happened with the Capitals and Wild when Kuznetsov and Kaprizov finally came over. They made immediate impacts, and those teams immediately got significantly better. Um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the scenarios that it happens in a sec, but if if the Red Wings get Michkov, that's your window. Like, he is that good. You are now planning around the 26-27 season. Every season before that, who cares? You are doing whatever you have to do to open up your window when he comes over. Whether that's, you know, deloading now or loading up or acquiring players who be coming in, whatever. I don't care. The I'm not going to go through what the plan and would honest, be. Honestly, not to interject, but that's a, honestly a good timeline for the Red Wings because the Atlantic right now is so jam-packed with elite teams that... At, by 26, 27, those teams have to make the hard choices or have already made the hard choices to disassemble and their windows are now closed. So it's it's not coincidental timing. Like it, it would work out quite well. Now, based on what a lot of the insiders have been saying, it doesn't sound like Michkov's getting out of the top four. It sounds like teams, he might slip to number four but it sounds like most teams are comfortable drafting him there. They said there's, you know, a couple organizations that have some concerns, you know, obviously with the political climate in Russia right now, I think every team should have some concerns. That in that you can't overstate that. Yeah. Right? There's yeah. a chance you might have like federal What if your era. owner is just like, no, we're not drafting any Russian players. I don't care. And that's there and are you're owners done. like that. Then it's done. Yeah. It could happen. And so, so to run down the hypothetical of what Ryan was saying, let's say the team picking at four after Carlson, Fintilli, and Bedard have been picked has one of those owners. That's like, nope, we cannot risk this. Now you're the Red Wings, you pick up your phone. I, I would go far enough to say you do almost whatever has to be done. You just answer whatever the asking price is, which is going to be significant it's gonna be uncomfortable i will tell you right now the red wings first round pick and the islanders first round pick don't even come close to getting it done they don't and people are gonna say oh you're giving up two mid first round picks to get up to four it 
you would be laughed off the phone. You would have to add from there um, probably another premium asset. We're not talking about, you know, throwing in, I don't know, Carter Mazer and getting it done. I, I don't think that gets it done. Um, so you are going to have to really, really, really pony up and quite honestly overpay. And if the Red Wings are presented that opportunity by the GM at number four going, we will give you pick four for pick, let's call it 11, 18, and I don't know, Ryan, give me a, a prospect that would make you very uncomfortable to lose. Very uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Uh, Edvinson. You do it. You do it with if that's Casper? Casper makes me a little more hesitant than Edvinson, but probably, yeah. Michkov solves the Red Wings problem. He is exactly what they're missing. And yeah, the three years sucks, which is probably why this scenario is even a thought in the first place. Because if he was coming over next year, there's not a GM alive who is entertaining a trade. No. There is nobody in the entire NHL that's going, okay, we're picking second overall. We're taking Michkov and don't even pick up the phone. Um, so you're going to give up a lot, but you are getting what will be the Red Wings' best player since Zetterberg, Datsuk, and Lidstrom retired. Full stop, no questions. It would take a miracle for that to not happen. Not a miracle. It would take a tra- like tragedy for that to not Even happen. Even if they cut off one of his legs, I think he may still be <laughs> third-line winger at worst. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so in this hypothetical that we're now down, Something comes up for me, which is that I'm not sure that the Red Wings are interested in selling, no matter how appropriate the price is, selling or sorry, you know, buying Michkov for how much it would cost, because that is a such a hard shift of the timeline. And the Red Wings better rub the genie lamp and win the draft lottery. Uh, I don't know that. What do you mean the timeline shift? And the Red Wings are not winning a Stanley Cup in the next three years. And Steve Eisenman knows the Red Wings aren't winning a Stanley Cup in the next three years. Playoffs, sure. And that's important to them. It is absolutely important. But you don't have to right or wrong. I think that's the way they might think. The The Red Wings as they are now are a playoff team if they have Matt Faye Mitchkov on the roster today. So you take what Mitchkov's going to be in four or five years and you drop him on the Detroit Red Wings as they are this season. I'm going to count when Hironik and Bertuzzi were still here. That's a playoff team 10 out of 10 times. 10 out of 10? They were they were a couple points. They were in a playoff spot. Yeah. I think they're better than some of the wild card teams for sure. Absolutely, if they have that. Because again, if you take Michkov and you put him on your first line left wing again, when Bertuzzi and Hironik were here, obviously things have changed. Now all of a sudden you're bumping Bertuzzi down. You're bumping Berggren down. All of a sudden, not only is your top line good, your bottom lines are better. We've talked about this. If you want to look at bottom sixes and depth. Red Wings have one of the better groups in the league. That is not their problem. Their problem is at the top of the lineup. And the this is one of the very few circumstances where it's even remotely possible. Again, I'm going to bet 95% chance wherever Michkov gets picked in the top four or if he goes to four, don't even, nobody's going to even pick up the phone if you call. I think... I think whatever GM that would be or owner that would be, they'd be out of their mind. And again, according to what the insiders are saying, most teams are totally comfortable waiting for him. So this is a scenario 
that I give a 5% chance even arises. But if that 5% hits, you have to do everything. Again, let's say you're giving up. It's it's always tough to project with prospects Mm -hmm. what uh, a pick is going to turn into. So if we take the most recent player the Red Wings took around 10, the most recent player they've taken around 20, and you throw in another prospect, would you give up Casper, Kosa, and I don't know, let's just say Mazer for our argument's sake, to get Nikita Kucherov? Like a younger version? If you're getting Nikita Kucherov at what he will be at the time, 22 years old. Yeah. Exactly. That That's a realistic possibility of what you're talking about here. So the one thing I will say is I think the three years of separation, and then I think there's a requisite amount of risk you need to add to each prospect, no matter how small. I think Bedard has the smallest amount of risk that we've seen in a prospect since, you know, maybe Matthews McDavid time. I think Michkov has more. I, I might have some more questions than than you two do, but I again, his is very, well, very small. I should preface this by saying, this is with due diligence going into the draft. Iserman has talked to Michkov. Iserman has talked to Michkov's, hey, are you coming after three years? What's the plan? And if they are getting some sketchy answers, obviously I take everything I just said and throw it out the window. I'm going on the assumption they are reasonably confident he's coming in three years. And I'm not even talking about that. I mean, that's a good point. It's like as the player pans out. I don't want to say it's significant, but it's non-zero. I think with all of that, all of those question marks there, that's enough to me where I think there are some questions for the Red Wings if you're spending all those assets. Now, very quickly, before we move on to overtime here, I have some hypotheticals for you because we've talked about who Michkov is as a player. We've talked about this crazy hypothetical of how the Red Wings could get him. We haven't talked about what if they win the draft lottery and they end up number two. Number two, what do you do if you're Steve Eisman? Context circumstances as they are right now. Fantilli, Carlson, or Michkov? So you've done due diligence on all these players and you are very happy with the answers they have all given you. Yep. Michkov. Over Fantilli. Yes. Evan. At number two, I'm still going to take Fantilli. I, I, we haven't done him as a prospect profile, so I can't, you know, give away too much. That's just right. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think he has elite level talent in him at the NHL level and, they sure, they better, if there's anyone they're going to do their due diligence on, it's a guy just down the road. So I, I still like Fantilli. Okay. So I'm not asking Brad, I'm asking you, Evan, now, because you, you took Fantilli too. You're, let's say the Red Wings end up pick three between Leo Carlson and Matt Michkov. For now, I'll say Michkov. Okay. When we circle back to the Leo Carlson conversation, bring that up again. And, and we'll uh, see where we're we'll at. We'll see how that sort of changes. All right, folks. A lot to make of Matt Vamichkov. I think this is a guy we're going to be talking about for quite some time here. You know, we could we can give a lot more in-depth analysis on his play specifically. He's just such an entertaining player to watch. And uh, you have to think, if we're talking about a guy who's not going to be here for years and years and years, he has to be this good for us to dedicate this much time to him. So Matt Vamichkov, keep your eye out. Maybe a pipe dream, but it's a non-zero chance. All right, uh, I know we said we'd cover some NHL news, but in the interest of time here, why don't we jump into Overtime, which again is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to support the show, you get access to our Patreon-exclusive Overtime episodes, which record right after this. Any questions that don't make the main show, uh, we read out there. We let loose. We have fun. 
uh, the guys at Let the Guys Swear, we all probably a little bit too much. Um, we have some fun with it. And then you also get access to all of our uh, giveaways. You're automatically entered. We're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. Uh, the majority of those are going directly to Patreon supporters. Uh, in addition to all of that, you get access to the Winged Wheel Podcast Discord, which, a, which is a fantastic community, a good time. Uh, okay, let's take some questions here. First one being from uh, Paul Sackla says, how effing stupid was that loss to Boston Saturday, knowing full well we should have beat them? Will those types of losses happen when the rebuild is over? So I don't think Paul here is talking about the standard of refereeing, which I do think was a little bit you know, quirky in the third period. I'll put it gently. Um, I think he's talking about the fact that the Red Wings couldn't hang on to the 2-0 win. And you know what? As the Red Wings lost to the Bruins, yeah, it would have been nice to see them hang on to the win, but it's this is a depleted Red Wings team, and that is a mega-talented, like historically talented Bruins roster. So does that excuse them? No. Will those wins happen after the rebuild is over? They shouldn't as much. But if you look at when the Red Wings go up against those teams, I will bet that if you look at those betting odds, they are still very, very favorable towards Boston. Um, I think that's just, you know, it's legitimately a skill issue. Yep. Uh, Glenn Brabham says, hey, boys, let's say a player who's effectively done playing but still has years uh, to run under contract wants to join a front office uh, or even be a GM of another team, for example, in the universe where Shea Weber got tapped for the Philly GM job. Are there any rules against that? Imagine if Datsuk, Pronger, Price, Weber, etc. were managing against the team paying them. I can't imagine the league would sign off in that scenario, would they? I think that's where the league would probably draw the line. I, man, I did not look this up, but I'm almost positive this has happened with Pronger specifically. He got a job with, I want to say, the Panthers... While he was still under contract. Yes, but I think if you move into it, like, I, I think it's because it was more like behind the scenes. If you move into the GM role, to me, I think that's a line the league wouldn't let them cross. Yeah, but where where do you draw that line? It's then, the NHL. Right? They make it up as they go, man. Yeah, because it's, it's been written off, in chalk. Because yeah. like a front office job with another NHL team is a front office job with another NHL team. Like I don't I don't see how you differentiate between what the role is. I don't disagree. I had a problem with Pronger's role in the Department of Player Safety while he was still technically you know under contract or on LTIR. I didn't like that at all. But the NHL allowed that. So they showed that they have a gray area that is certainly not, like you said, Evan, it's written in chalk. I would imagine, I, I do think the, because if you're GM, you can trade for your own freaking contract or like. It, that, oh my God, I need them to allow it. That has to happen one day. Especially with how injury contracts move around in this league right now. I, Chris Pronger, am very excited to announce we have acquired the right to Chris Pronger. Yeah, no kidding. It'd be the greatest press conference in the history of hockey. He's done an in-depth scouting report on Chris <laughs> Pronger. Uh, Walt Partlow, who's a brand new patron. Welcome, Walt, to the Dub Dub Club, and thank you for your support. Says, I really like how Eisman has built a lot of flexibility and capital in anticipation of being able to move when it's time to, quote-unquote, hit the gas, as Brad would say. Let's say we get to that point by having some draft luck finally, given that the team's biggest needs are still elite first-line forwards and right-handed D, and that there doesn't appear to be much available in free agency, Steve will need to be able to swing some trades. Who are some possible targets that could realistically be available, and who do you target? Since I stated needs, I'm going to throw out an idea that ignores what I just said and say Carter Hart. The Flyers have depth behind him, and he's due for a raise soon. It'd be great to have a 1A, 1B goalie situation in Detroit that we thought we could have had before Ned fizzled out. Thanks for all you do. So... 
let's talk about that Carter Hart idea because that is a question in Philly. Is he going to fit their timeline and can they trade him for assets? It's not the you know most insane thing I've heard. Carter Hart scares me. On talent alone, yes, absolutely yes. But man, has he been the most uh, extreme hot and cold goalie we've seen over the last few years in the NHL. Now, it's a young goalie in the NHL, so it's totally understandable, and I'm not using that as an insult to Carter Hart, but I don't know what Carter Hart's baseline is yet. So, And with the way goalies are, I'm not throwing a ton out there. But now that, uh, actually, we didn't talk about this earlier, and we probably should have, especially with the circumstance I was mentioning before, Philly might actually finally do a rebuild, and they don't have a lot left on the roster that's worth uh, picking up. Uh, It's almost nothing. But the one guy on there that, you know, with some salary retained, I would probably take a long, hard look at would be Travis Konechny. Mm -hmm. Big, big fan of Travis Konechny if you're looking for that, you know, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi type coming back the other way, he would fit that role very, very well. Um, so, you know, maybe that's a guy you look at. And again, for right-handed deep, I, I say YOLO, let's find a way to make Carlson work. <laughs> there isn't a good answer there. Carter Hart scares me too. I've seen his heights and I've seen his depths and I, I will bet that a lot of his low points were born of being thrust into a big role too early, uh, not having the right support in Philly, and that there's a really talented goalie behind there. But I just don't imagine Philly's going to sell him for cheap. And I'm just not interested in spending those assets on a goalie when there are other needs up front. And, you know, they went out and brought Philly Huso in for a mid-round pick in a reasonable contract. You're not always going to be able to do that. There were a lot of teams that were frustrated when Detroit Red Wings, uh, the Red Wings beat them to the punch, but for now, I'd say no, unless something happens and Carter Hart could be had on cheap. And then, in which case, I wouldn't mind it at yeah. all. Yeah. And also, let's not forget, you know, the giant size Sebastian Cosa in the room. That's right. Who continues to roll on with the walleye. He's been doing really, really well. Uh, Norris Sider says, with the way the top 20 or so of this draft class is shaking out, and given Detroit's recent pedigree or lack thereof, of drafting North Americans versus European prospects, how confident are you boys feeling if we miss out on a guy like Carlson with our first two picks? He's not going to be anywhere near our picks. Well, so if the Red Wings basically don't have a home run Swede and they're saying if if they the players in their range are more or less uh, playing in North America and that's where they're scouting out of, how much confidence do we have? And it, it raises a good point. The Red Wings have had a lot more success with their picks out of Europe than their picks out of teams from North America. Of, of oh, like. we've, yeah, we've, we talked at length last off season about the difference in success rate between their European scouts and their North American scouts. But the one thing I don't think we ever talked about is how their European scouts can inadvertently help their North American scouts and thus increase the success of a pick because You know, let's say the Red Wings are sitting there at pick 11 and they don't love the options that are available to them. The European scout could go, yeah, we don't like anybody here. You should pick someone from North America because they're not going to pick a guy just because he's their highest rated Euro on the board. Like maybe they like really like Axel Sandin Pelica, but maybe they don't like him past pick 15 and they just go, yeah, we, we like this guy. We'll go for him with our next pick if he's still there, but he he's not worth where we're sitting. And then 
you know, when, when you eliminate an option, it makes narrowing down the rest of the options a little easier. They're going to go with what best player available is. Uh, I, I just can't imagine. Like, I, I think it's naturally going to come into, like, Hakan Anderson has so much weight in that room. A lot of the draft board at the top is going to dictate what the Red Wings options are, and you're not going to go too wildly outside of that. I say that with the Red Wings having drafted most cider, some people interpret, you know, 12 to 30 picks sooner than he should have, and that was obviously successful. So that could be a stupid statement from me, but is there concern about North American scouting versus European scouting in general? Yeah, I think the Red Wings have had some disparity there and you need to see a turnaround. But at the top of the draft, I just think there's too many. The 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 minds of, that behind the team's management are all factored into that. So the current concern is not too, too large for me. Uh, Aaron says, when a stick is broken and the player goes to the bench, is their stick already taped to their preference or do they use an untaped stick and then tape it once their shift is done? Uh, they actually tape it on the ice. Yeah. <laughs> There's a third option. No, the players, part of their pregame thing is they have pre-taped sticks. Some yeah. players do it all pregame. Some players do a bunch all in advance. And no, they, they generally, they will cut, you know, heat up, do whatever they want to do to their stick all pregame. Unless you're Tyler Bertuzzi like, and you're just lazy. Most players will have four to five ready to go per game. Yeah. All taped up identically. And just that way when it happens, there is no adjustment period. You can run to the bench, grab the stick, and keep going the shift, and it'll feel as if nothing had happened. All right, time for one more question here. Let's go with uh, the Jims, who says, I have to say you guys deserve to be higher than five on hockey pods. Thank you, the Jims. Much, uh, much appreciated. Uh, you add so much to the season, more people need to tune in. Uh, what's your hot take? Is Chase on an upgrade from Sonny? He seems to have filled a gap at net front. Um, I won't say upgrade. I th- I will say he just is the same. He he serves the same role. And here's the trick. It's I think it's good to re- recognize what guys like Chase on, guys like Sunquist, players of that uh, type bring to the team because I think they're necessary. But it's also important to remember something that Brad says all the time. They're a dime a dozen. So, you know, you don't lock them in for too much money and you don't lock them in for too much term and you don't, I think you should celebrate them, but at the same time, understand that they will naturally cycle out over time. So if Chase on earns himself, earns himself a contract, I'm happy for him. And I have no problem with that as the Red Wings, you know, 12th or 13th forward, who has a little bit of a specialty role, like Brad said earlier this episode, but I'm not, uh, uh, is it an improvement over Sunquist? I'll say no, but the needle isn't moving, so to speak. All right. With that, we're going to be back with you on Wednesday night. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning into this episode. We have uh, some fun uh, content coming up for you soon, uh, some fun news as well. So stay tuned for all of that. We appreciate all of you tuning in. Again, if you're willing to support us, patreon.com slash podcast. It really, really helps the show. Other ways you can help uh, if you can't or don't want to contribute on Patreon, give the show a rating wherever you tune in. Uh, those those ratings really, really help us. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your pods. Uh, and additionally, just hit that subscribe button. It really, really means a lot to us. Um, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, new and old, uh, and all of our patrons, our name-level supporters. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Bertuzzi is straight up missing, Nick Perks, Icon, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam, Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Yuki, uh, Nightorp, Aiden White, Jordan Bernaski, 
Uh, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Babe Landeskog, Burt Baconator, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek N. Stam, Detroit Rob, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam Al Kassem, I Ryan love big butts and I cannot lie. My other host can't deny I can't rhyme. Haha <laughs> butts. Thank you, Arjun, for that one. Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Joseph Barry, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Massive Wong, Evan Longsaber, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, That's What I Appreciates About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Why Do You Always Do This To Me, Brad, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Number One Rob, The Big Hog Hag, and the Detroit Red Guys fan. <laughs> <laughs> A. Aaron, Adam Goitska, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Ben, uh, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, C.J. Wilkinson, Connor Leighton, Corey Prida, Darren Fick, Flo T. Cast, George's Biggest Fan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Lieutenant Matt S. The Cheesebag Army, Linda Hull, Marco Casper, uh, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, noted Philip Zadino Whisperer, Ben Barron, Ophelia, Reed, Steven, Tatarsas, The Hodag, The Original Bertuzzi's Lost Tooth, Z, and finally my favorite patron, Matt Keeler. I gotta call out your, uh, your trick there, Matt. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.